0: In the last episode of Thinking Theology, we thought about what it means to be human. Who has God made us to be? In this bonus episode, I'm talking with Rob Smith, one of my colleagues here at SNBC. Rob teaches theology, ethics, as well as music ministry. He's just completed his PhD on what the Bible has to say about gender, and he's written a short book on that topic as well. But in this episode, I'm talking with Rob about what it means to be embodied. What does the Bible have to say about our human bodies? That's what we're thinking about in this episode of Thinking Theology. Hi, my name's Carl Dunick. I write about theology and I teach it at Sydney Missionary and Bible College. Welcome to Thinking Theology. A podcast where we think about theology, the Bible, and the Christian life—not just for the sake of it, but so we can love God more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, Rob, uh, you're a person among many others who would say that a theology of the human body is really important. Why do you say that it's important, particularly for Christians living? today?
1: Well, I I don't know that it's more important today than ever has been, but uh, I suppose if there is something today, it's it's that there's a lot of confusion about our bodies and why we have them and who owns them, as it were, and Mm. what we can and should do with them and to them. So that perhaps gives a contemporary urgency to why this uh, needs to be addressed. I I do think there's also been a a somewhat of neglect of... um, Christian contemplation and reflection on the importance of our embodiment, uh, which has begun to be addressed in the last, well, few years, really. There's been a bunch of books on the body come out uh, in recent years, which um, you know, Sam Albury's book, Greg Allison's book, uh, is, is five or six really yeah. valuable things. So I, I do think there's been a recognition of the need to talk about our bodies and thankfully, the books are coming that are helping us do that.
0: Do you have any thoughts on why it has been neglected for some time?
1: Well, I, I think we rightly understand that there's a, a priority to the inner over the outer. In the sense that God is renewing us, mm. um, you know, spiritually. You know, the outer person's wasting away; the inner's being renewed every day. Uh, that you know, we look on the outward things; God looks on the heart. Uh, yeah know real beauty is not again outward it 's inward and so I, I guess we recognize that priority and the dangers of becoming obsessed with appearance and and the outward and you know the physical physical but it's again it 's possible to swing the pendulum too far or, or to overreact to that or miss what scripture says about the goodness of our embodiment uh, and the way in which of course body and soul are totally and utterly integrated in mm. the way God is Made us and formed us, and and then, as we said, there's a whole lot of confusion about what we can and do, can and should do with our bodies. So, yeah, I think for all those reasons, we need to look carefully now at the body and think, okay, what does Scripture say here, and what yeah. do we learn?
0: Yeah. So this is something that you've thought a lot about. So why have you thought a lot about this? What what's drawn you to this topic? in particular?
1: Yeah, a couple of a couple of things. Uh, part of it was was work on music. Uh, as I began to, well, think through the relationship between um, intellect and emotion firstly, but then intellect and emotion and body (laughs) Uh, and things like even just gestures and Mm. postures and um, the way scripture sees an integration there of, again, our thoughts, our feelings and our actions. Uh, And so that, I think, was the first thing that, well, opened up my eyes, I think, to the significance of our embodiment and the what I often call the two-way street between these things. So it's not just that our thoughts generate feelings, and our feelings generate um, you know, bodily actions, but it goes the other way too. That we can do things with our body that actually impact our emotions and uh, and help our thoughts. And mm. so there's an yeah, there are interconnections there, and and streams running in various directions.
0: So you began with music, uh, but then you've gone on and you've done a PhD as well, and that's intersected with this area, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, very much. I I really got led into looking at the whole transgender question and what is being claimed, I suppose, uh, in the name of um, what you might call trans theory or trans ideology, Uh, and that got me exploring the whole bigger subject of sex and gender or, or to give it two different names embodiment and identity mm. um, to what extent the uh, the outer body reveals the inner person and to what extent the uh, our identity is as it were determined by our bodies and mm. revealed by our bodies and so yeah that's been a, I guess a whole other exploration but that has highlighted again the significance of our bodies and trying to just work out again what scripture says about that and how it speaks then to the Questions raised by trans theory.
0: Mm. So if you were to step back and kind of outline what you thought some key elements of a theology of the body were, what kinds of things would you want to touch on?
1: Well, I guess the two obvious things to say, which you probably almost don't need to be said, is that we're, we're created with bodies and we'll be raised with bodies. Yeah. And the whole idea of resurrection is a bodily idea, fundamentally. Um But more than that, when you look at, say, Genesis 1 and 2, I mean, well, the first thing we learn about humanity in Genesis 1 and 2 is that we're made in the image of God, but made as male and female. And those terms are what we rightly call sex terms or sexed terms uh, that uh, are bodily terms by Mm. necessity. So, you know, maleness is a a bodily thing, has to do with reproductive capacity or reproductive structure and femaleness likewise. Um, so that's interesting, that embodiment is right there from the get-go.
0: I think it's interesting, actually, just to to jump in there for a second. One of the things Sam Albury says in his book is that Adam was a body first, if you like. So God creates the physical Adam yeah. and then he breathes life into him. He makes yeah. him a living yeah. being yeah.
1: subsequently. Yeah, well, yeah, that was where well, I was about to go oh, because, yeah, Genesis 2. I uh, got there to yeah, too early. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. It's teamwork. Uh, Genesis 2, certainly, yeah presents that sequence, right? Yeah. Yeah. The the man is made. And it's interesting, it says the man was made from the dust of the earth, but it's the body first. The body is formed and then the breath of life enters in uh, and he becomes a living being. So, yeah, the fullness of life requires more than simple physicality, requires animation, divine animation. Um, But, yeah, body first. It's interesting that that's the sequence, um, so it's not the bodies are an afterthought. They're the, the first thought. Um, so yeah, that, that's, you know, I guess foundational, but of course, uh, scripture goes on from there and the way in which, well, the rest of humanity comes into being is a little different from the way that, uh, Adam was formed. Uh, we are all now born of woman to use Paul's phrase, but the fundamental structure of the human person is, is identical. You know, we, we are embodied souls or in soul bodies. You can it doesn't matter which way you say that; it's the same thing. Uh, and you, you, know, you see this in, say, you know, Psalm one thirty nine, where David is very clear that in knitting his body together in his mother's womb, David was knitting him together. God, David, God, sorry, God, 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 not David. God was knitting David together, right? Yeah, you knit me together, yeah. not. Just you needed my body, and then that my body became me at some later point. No, no, you needed me together. Uh, And so, embodiment and identity, to bring those terms back into the conversation, um, are interwoven and inseparable in that sense. Uh, Now, of course, death will separate them temporarily, Mm. um, but that's one of the reasons why death is an intrusion and a disruption of of that which God has made and, and not a state that God is going to allow to continue. So So that's quite a different idea, isn't it, to
0: maybe what's sometimes a popular idea is that the place that we're going to at the end is a place where we're just souls floating around on clouds. Mm. That's the caricature. That's not the biblical picture, is it?
1: No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, that may be, again, depending how you think about the intermediate state, it may be a, a temporary phase but the ultimate, no, is resurrected life on a new earth, and that means embodied life. And now, again, these will be transformed bodies, as Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 15, but bodies nonetheless, and uh, indeed the same bodies. Now, this, this is one of the things, I guess, that really came home to me in my own studies, that, that, uh, on, particularly on the transgender question. It's not that God is going to give us a different body, Um that's got no connection with this one. No, it is actually this body that he will restore and raise and transform. Um, So there'll be continuity connection. Mm. This mortal body will be raised immortal. This perishable body raised imperishable. And so that's quite important. It tells you that these bodies now are, are eternal, even though obviously in their current state and form they're going to perish, But God will have the last word. So there's the creational aspect, obviously, then, isn't there?
0: There's that kind of the picture that we get in places, as you said, like Psalm 139, of the continuation of humanity post the fall. There's the intermediate state. uh, There's the new creation. There's also, I guess, part of the... Theology of the human body is the person of Christ Himself, isn't it?
1: Well, absolutely. I was about to say we, we've jumped over the key thing of all. Of course. Yeah. Um, yes, Jesus, of course, well, comes to us human. Um, so the Son is incarnate, right? He is embodied. He not only uh, appears in human flesh; he he actually takes on human flesh, and becomes uh, one of us. And so his embodiment is critical. He he, he yeah, he doesn't just come to, as we we're, save souls. He comes to save embodied souls. And therefore, all that happens to his body is central to his redemptive work. And, of course, the resurrection of his body through death is is you know, <laughs> indispensable to salvation. There's, there's no forgiveness of sins without his resurrection, says Paul. There's no salvation of us and our bodies without his resurrection.
0: And it's that lends a tremendous weight, doesn't it, to the human body that Christ took that on and he redeemed us bodily. This is not it's obviously not then something that we can just discard, treat with indifference. Mm. The son of God has taken this on uh and and given it just this tremendous significance. We obviously had significance in our in the original creation. That's just been ratcheted up a notch, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, By Christ absolutely. taking on body, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes, if there was ever any doubt about how God regards bodies, Jesus, well, dismisses that doubt Yeah, God esteems our bodies exceedingly highly and the Son of God has got one forever.
0: Mm. So is there anything that you would add to a theology of the human body that you know, we've been made, we've been made in God's image, we've been made bodily. Um, we're a psychosomatic unity, we're body and soul together. Uh, there's importance from the uh, incarnation of Jesus. We're going to a bodily um, new creation. Is there anything else you'd add?
1: Well, there's certainly a lot that scripture says about um, what we are to do with our bodies, even though they are perishing. Mm. Um, so it's, it's scripture's teaching to. Does not run along the path of saying, "Well, because your body is doomed to death, doesn't matter what you do with it." No, very much matters what you do with it, even though you won't, you can't salvage it. And so, you've got, I suppose, this twin reality: we we need to be accepting of the fact that our bodies are wasting away, and indeed, use them in the Lord's service and and as put them on the line for the Lord's service. And uh, it, it may well it certainly has been the case that many of God's. People have had to, as it were, yeah, surrender their bodies in in his service, right? To to death and martyrdom and in in other ways. Um, but at the same time, we are to, well, to use Ephesians 5 language slightly um redirected that nourish and cherish our bodies, uh, and care for them and preserve them and feed them and clothe them and uh, use them for God's glory, and that, of course, feeds into all the Bible's sexual ethics, but it matters, therefore, what we do sexually with our bodies. Um, but, you know, Scripture says things also about adornment and you know, bodily modifications. I mean, Scripture is not particularly keen on bodily modifications, except one which you've written a book about, Carl, <laughs> so you can talk about that. It's really the only thing that God allows in the Old Covenant is circumcision, but a lot of the things the nations do to, their bodies, God says, don't you do. Um, Now, the New Testament doesn't pick up and reinforce some of those things, but I think the same principle applies. Um, And uh, we are to treat with great respect the body in Mm. life and in death. Uh, And so, yeah, it it matters. Uh, And so, again, think of 1 Corinthians 6 where, you know, Paul says, you know, the body for the Lord, the Lord for the body. Um, Therefore, don't commit sexual immorality with your body even though your body's doomed to death and God's going to raise it, it matters now what you do.
0: Mm. So what, what are some kind of wrong ideas maybe that you might pinpoint and say these are some misunderstandings or some wrong ideas about the body that people have, particularly, I guess, in our current age maybe?
1: Mm. I mean, the two obvious ones, and perhaps just picking up on what we were just saying, uh, the two obvious things, it's so the body means nothing on the one side and then on the other, the body means everything, you know. Yeah. So if the body means nothing, you just abuse it and it doesn't matter what you do. If it means everything, you idolize it and, you know, go crazy trying to preserve it and, uh, yeah, and even mask its aging and <laughs> the fact that it's falling apart. Um, so they I guess, the two obvious extremes. Um, and, of course, as we were just saying, the truth is somewhere in the middle. We, we need to understand that these bodies are not going to last and we are to, as, we are to use them up in God's service, but not recklessly or foolishly mm. or disrespectfully. Um, now, there are then a whole lot of particular questions. I mean, one of the things I've been just thinking a little about lately is is what often now is called human enhancement and, and some of the technology, AI technology and implant technology, all kinds of Things that are being worked on and even being done already to, to well to take our bodies somewhere else. And uh, I think there are some inherent problems with most of those things. I, I do think there is a, a design that God has given. Mm. We're to work with that design, um, and that does I think mean that we can rightly use medical technology to restore function, um, and uh, and help the body be what it ought to be as much as that's possible, but to make it into something that's different than than God's design, you know, to add capacities and things, that's, well, I think we're moving into at least highly questionable, if not dangerous, if not disobedient Mm. territory. It kind of may depend on the detail, I suppose. Um, So that's, again, one area that I really feel like I'm only just beginning Mm. to get my head around, but there's some good literature coming out on that front. Uh, But my research area for my doctoral work was, of course, on transgenderism and, well, I I guess the way at least I encapsulated trans theory was that uh, the the sex of the body is is essentially not relevant to the gendered self Uh, and so that one's gender is not, as it were, biologically determined but is determined, at least in trans theory, by subjective factors and forces so gender identity is the the in language and that just to my mind goes straight contrary to scripture which has a more um to use a term i think i'm happy with a, a more sacramental approach that is that the 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 outer person reveals the inner yeah interesting um, you know. why do you call
0: that sacramental
1: well i guess it's a, a, a it's a principle at least of, of some versions of sacramental theology that that the invisible is revealed in the visible, yeah. uh, and so on, or communicated by the visible. And I guess we get that fundamentally in the incarnation, right? God himself is manifested in flesh. Uh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Right? So you could call it the Christological principle, perhaps, if, you, if, the, if the word sacramental is, uh, is problematic. But it's that basic idea that if you ask, well, how do I know if I'm a man or a woman, uh, well, that is revealed by my body,
0: mm. um,
1: and so our bodies matter. It, my body determines whether I'm a son or a daughter, whether I'm a brother or a sister, whether I'm a husband or a wife. You know, uh, it determines relationships, and uh, yeah. So yeah, again, bodies are fundamental to identity in that sense. There are lots of other aspects of identity that we choose or change. Um, you know, things we do in life, you know, jobs we do and things we, tastes and hobbies and, but there are other things that are fundamental and immutable. And, well, the sex of our bodies is one of them, even though, of course, people do attempt to change their sex or disguise their sex. Mm. Um, You can't actually change your sex um, chromosomally, but you can obviously disguise it. But I think it's fairly clear that that is not a responsible use of the body.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, Sam Albury says in his book as well, that people conceive of the body as a blank canvas yeah. on which they can write their inner identity. But you're saying that's not the biblical model, that uh, we're not a blank canvas. Those, If we're body and soul together, those two things uh, have actually already been inscribed, haven't
1: they, by God? That's sort of what you're saying. They're givens. Yeah, they're givens. Yes, this is, you know, there's, the debates go back decades, I suppose, between you know what's what's created, what's constructed. Um, but yeah, sex is something that's given; it's mm. created. Now, you know, the I guess the feminist claim that we construct gender has some merit to it, in that gender is often a way of talking about the way we express sexed reality, uh, in in you know behavior and clothing and social roles and so on yeah and those things are constructed you know they're culturally constructed different cultures construct their gender expressions and stereotypes in different ways but when you construct something you're constructing it on on something (laughs) yeah (laughs) on a foundation on a base Yeah, Uh, and that base biblically speaking is is the body and it's sex which again are, are given and so yeah, if you ask him, well, what, what then is faithful gender construction? It's going to be in accord with the reality of the body, you know, not in a rigid way, as if every man, every woman has to look the same and do the same, and and so on. But but there will be a, a consonance between body and life.
0: Yeah, um, it, it it seems to me that some of those elements that come to expression. I mean, certainly that idea of the blank canvas is not something unique for example, to transgender, transgenderism or anything like that, it's really that's the ethos of our world. For all of us, the body, or for people in our society, I should say, the body is, is like a change of clothes, isn't it? It's, it's a fashion statement rather than something that's kind of intrinsic to who we are. It's something that we can change at our whim, whether that's through enhancements mm. or gender change or anything like that. Uh, it's a very different model, isn't it? To-
1: it is, yeah. Well, yes, we we uh, well, we live in the age of autonomy where, I mean, autonomy is nothing new. I mean, it's as old as Genesis 3, of course. But um, but certainly in our sort of modern, individualized, um, highly uh, technologized world, we really do think we can create ourselves in mm. in large measure. Um, and, you know, we, when we run into reality and realize in some ways we can't, um, and then we again, we looked to technology to somehow overcome that instead of recognizing that you know, God has constrained us and made us well again embodied beings uh, who are people of time and place who need to work within the limitations that He set for us and uh, and embrace those and uh, see the good of those rather than fighting hmm. to overcome them and make ourselves something other. Yeah. So I guess maybe
0: slightly related to uh, transgenderism is the idea of body shame. Yeah, yeah. So what does the biblical view of the human body have to say to people who are dealing with that often very painful experience?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is a deep question. And uh, well, again, something I've thought a little about, and but could certainly do with Doing some further reading and pondering, um, in one sense, I think every human being struggles with body shame. It's, it's there in Genesis three. I mean, it's one of the immediate effects of the fall. You know, Adam and Eve cover themselves, and in particular, they cover their you know, their genitals. Mm. Uh, that's that's what they do. They are exposed and yeah, sexually exposed in that sense. Um, now we can be ashamed of. Any number of parts of our bodies, <laughs> uh, not just our, our genitalia, but that often is a particular focus of shame. And particularly if people have been shamed in their sex, you know, shamed because they're a particular sex or shamed by means of sexual abuse of some form. And, and again, we ought to understand that. Certainly, if we put a biblical view of body and soul, you can understand. Well, to, to give you an extreme example, I listened to a paper. Uh, a conference recently on on rape and the impacts of rape and it just, well, reinforced for me the fact that when something that evil and destructive is done to a person's body, it's done to the person. It's right, it's, it's not just that something happened to the body that doesn't affect the inner person. No, no this goes right to the heart of the person. Um, so the violation of the body and, and particularly the body's sex is, is Unbelievably uh, mm. damaging, and that just tells us again the story of integration of psychosomatic unity that that it matters that it matters what happens to our bodies and and it explains why we can be easily well shamed will um, become ashamed of our bodies and then carry that shame in the, mm. in our inner persons, and so I, one of the things I think that certainly I know Sam Aubrey brings out in his book very helpfully is the way in which the gospel. Well, seeks to free us from shame at every level, um, you know, shame in our inner, inner being, but also shame in regard to our outer being. That that we don't have to be ashamed of our bodies, uh, even even though they're you know not perfect and and again aging and you know whatever <laughs> glory they may once have had is kind of fast fading, and that's that's all right. Uh, it, and and I have to have to say, I mean, one that personal benefits of my own thinking and reading and writing about this stuff is just to accept more easily and happily all kinds of things about my body that have annoyed me and some of them are functional things that I'd like to work better, like my nose, Um, but others are just purely aesthetic things and really vanity things probably that I, you know, whatever it is. But, um, yeah, I just have found myself a whole lot more relaxed. Think this is the body God's given me, at least for now. uh, And that's okay. Um, I don't be ashamed of it and um, it's good. I can embrace that and know that there's a better one coming still. And hallelujah.
0: Yeah. So Rob, just maybe as we head toward the end, uh, just want to tease out perhaps one of the things that you talked about earlier and that's, uh, about the ex- expression of the body, uh, first of all, that, that is, in, you, you said you came to the uh, theology of the human body by thinking about music and all that kind of stuff. It's probably fair to say that in the Western world, bodily expression largely is not a part of Christian worship. So what does a good theology of the body have to say about how we should be acting bodily in our worship and praise of God.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that certainly is the question I guess I pondered from the musical end for quite some time. Uh, I mean, I think, again, the f- first thing is simply recognition, right, that that we are engaging God with our bodies, whether we're sitting, whether we're standing, whether we're lying prostrate, uh, whether we're singing, whether we've, you know, as somebody said, whether we're Clenching our fists tighter in conviction or raising our hands higher in praise. Yeah, we're doing things with our bodies. Um, and I think God is, well, again, made us, He's made us integrated and therefore, I think I'm happy to say, seeks that kind of integration. And certainly we see it modeled in Scripture um, across the spectrum, whether it's in yeah, what you might call exuberant um, worship or whether it's uh, you know, highly reverent worship. Um, you know, there's body body stuff happening, right? Whether it's leaping in the air, whether it's, again, kneeling and and uh, lowering head or lifting hand, you know, there's, the body is in there. And of course, when we sing, that's your body. Is, you, you sing with your whole body. I mean, obviously your vocal cords are the, the centre of the action, but stuff's happening in the whole body. And um, so just to recognise all of that and see the way that that's how God made it to be and not to be uptight about our bodies, as I think many are. I think I spent many years being uptight about my body. And um, you know, music is meant to move your body. Well, music does affect your body. I mean, music does all kinds of things, even to your heart rate and mm. and uh, to hormones. And you know, it's it's, it's a, quite amazing to to understand just the biochemistry of of uh, well, singing, but but just music generally. And that's all by divine design. It's this is not. Not something that shouldn't be happening. It's something God intends to happen. Now, some cultures get that more than others. Uh, I, I'm not an expert, I suppose, on what makes cultures and races differ and why it is that some cultures are just so much more expressive and just seem more naturally integrated than others. Others of us, like our white, white Anglo-Saxon me, sort of <laughs> find that harder to to achieve that sort of natural integration i, yeah. I don't understand all the reasons for that uh, how much of the, how much of it's historical how much of it's actually anatomical i don't know but i think be that as it may scripture models for us um integrated mm. engagement yep uh, uh yeah prayer in prayer in praise and and I think we should shoot for that without wanting, again, to impose some uniformity on God's people Mm. as if everybody has to be in lockstep and that you can't have some diversity of, you know, the fact is we're all wired differently, aren't we, Um, emotionally, physically. And so I think we just need to allow that difference but encourage people toward authentic integration, whatever that means Mm. for them.
0: Yeah. And... uh uh, circling back to one other question that came up as we've been chatting as well, I just uh, thought to myself, it's it's a key question, I think, for people who are in ministry. You talked earlier about the balancing between uh, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, you know, or Paul, I beat my body and make it my slave, and the responsibility to care for ourselves. Again, I think Sam Albury tells the story of Robert Murray McShane, who was uh, Indefatigable in his service of the gospel, but the result was he was dead by the age of thirty. He, mm. he, uh, I think he described himself as riding the horse of him of his own body into the ground.
1: Yes, How do I we think balance I, that? I think he said God gave me a, a horse to ride and a message to deliver, but I flogged the horse to death and can can no longer deliver the message. Yeah, um, yeah. Look, <laughs> it's a hard one because I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. Uh, it may well be that God's purpose for some of us is to burn brightly and quickly. Mm. Uh, there's a marvellous book by Marcus Lone, um, I think it's called They Were Pilgrims, where he has four mini-biographies, including M- Murray McShane, of, of missionaries who all died around age 30 because they, they just went hard and in a way that was unsustainable yep. but bore great fruit. Now, so that may well be obedient uh, and wise and faithful Use of the body for some, but it also may be reckless and um, foolish for others. So I think this is where we need to, well, we need discernment and we need to, well, we need accountability and need to bring these sorts of things before the Lord and work out well, are we using our lives, our time, our energies well, or are we squandering resources and getting ourselves to a point where we have flogged the horse to death and can no longer deliver the message. So, yeah, I wish I had a nice simple formula there. I'd, but like many things in the Christian life, you know, it calls for wisdom. And, again, I think the best decisions are made in fellowship and in prayer. And uh, so I think that's that's the way to navigate that. Wise advice.
0: Uh, Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, help us think about what it means to have a good and a biblical theology of the human body. Thanks very much.